and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. On this beautiful, sunshiny Sunday morning, let us listen to the Word of God in the spirit and the heart of celebration. The scripture reading is John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the, wedding, when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a cool story. Uh, in 16 or so years of being an ordained pastor and having the chance to preach, I've never preached about this story before. I'm so excited. It's an awesome story. So I want to talk about it for just a minute. So what Carol read to us this morning is from the second chapter of John's Gospel. And you all know John well enough to know how it begins, right? It begins with this beautiful passage about the Word of God. John begins with this riff about Jesus being there at the very creation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, John begins in this beautiful and kind of cerebral theological statement about the word in creation, John very quickly zeroes in on a very particular human body. The word became flesh, John says, 
And in the incredible translation of Eugene Peterson in the message, the word moves into the neighborhood. The word of God moves in next door to you. The creative power of God. The luminous light of the world that the darkness can never overcome. This power becomes a person, and that person moves in next door. That's the beginning of John's gospel. And so you're kind of on the edge of your seat, right? You're like, okay, I see it. What happens next? What's this this power going to do? Where will this power become known? What's this creative, living word that's now among us? What's it going to do? And we get our answer right in this passage. The word of God throws what I used to call in college a kegger. Right? A massive party. I'm not making light of it. This is no joke. John affirms that the first miracle of Jesus is turning water into wine. For no other reason than that these wedding guests can enjoy a night of singing and dancing and eating and maybe lovemaking. It's a sign that celebration belongs in the middle of our life in God. The first miracle of Jesus is a party. Today we are bringing to an end this series that we've been tracking called Rebooting Our Faith. We've been trying over the course of this summer as we've been reconvening as a congregation to to get back in touch with the basic practices of our faith that orient us toward God as we slowly and deliberately and carefully emerge from this pandemic time. We talked about worship. We talked about Sabbath keeping. We talked about prayer. We've talked about telling sacred stories among ourselves, doing justice, appreciating beauty, and yes, throwing a party belongs in that list of sacred practices. As I have thought back on my experience of this time during the pandemic, one of the ways that I think it affected me most is the lack of chances to celebrate. There were no big gatherings. There were very few birthday parties. There were no reunions, no graduation ceremonies, no weddings. If they did happen, these celebrations were small and they were muted both out of practicality and also out of respect for those around us who were sick and struggling. We've all gone a long time without celebrating. And the truth is that if we are prudent, it will require us to hold off on really celebrating with each other for a few more months. But I've missed celebrating. Have you? Now, I'm not known as the guy who gets the party started. I want to be honest with you. (laughs) But it doesn't mean I don't enjoy a good celebration. I've missed the gatherings. I've missed the chance even just to go out and eat and mark some small event in life, the chance to go and let off a little steam, the chance to go and talk to each other and mingle and kvetch about the things that are going wrong and the chance to laugh together. 
There have been a few, I think, rare moments for people to celebrate during the pandemic. And I think when we saw other people celebrating, our eyes kind of lit up and some of these moments went viral, as they say. Jason, let's put up a few of these pictures. Do you remember the scenes in Italy of people coming out on their balconies to sing and dance as a way to be with each other while they were all locked in? That was a way of celebrating. And these drive-through parties, right? This is a picture of a celebration for a woman who was turning 100 years old. And her family and friends got in their cars and uh, made signs and balloons and drove by to celebrate that amazing accomplishment of reaching 100. William's preschool teacher drove by the house of every single one of her children wearing an inflatable dinosaur costume. <laughs> Why? Because an inflatable dinosaur costume is awesome, right? It was a chance to celebrate something in the midst of a hard period in our lives. We all, all of us, every single one of us needs more celebration than we have been getting. Celebration is central to our human experience. We mark all of life's big milestones by celebrating weddings, confirmation, births, baptisms, even deaths are celebrations, right? We give thanks to, the God, to God for the gift of a life that blessed our own. We celebrate holidays. We celebrate our birthdays, another year around the sun. We celebrate anniversaries. When we celebrate, we name what in life is important to us. Now, let's be honest. When you think about who in your life, who in your life throws the best parties, the church probably does not make the list. Amen? I'm sorry about that. I want to apologize on behalf of the church. The church has told us what to celebrate. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrated Easter. But when it comes to celebrations itself, the church has sometimes been a wet blanket. The Puritans made Christmas illegal. You know that, right? Illegal. The celebratory parts of most of our holidays, a lot of the things that we enjoy the most, the rituals, bringing, bringing a tree into the house at Christmas, visits from the Easter Bunny, even a lot of our great holiday music, none of it has its origins in the church. It's hard to say exactly why, as Protestants, we are so dour. And it's a shame. It's a shame because life should be about celebration. Christian life is a celebration. You know this. At the very middle of our tradition is this story of this beautiful human being, Jesus, who loved, loved so well and so long and so faithfully and healed people and fed people who were hungry. He sought economic justice among his community and right relationships among all people. He lived a beautiful life and he was killed for it. But after three days, God raised Jesus from the dead. Christ lives. The Spirit of God still moves among us every single moment of our lives, reconciling us to God and reconciling us to each other. We know that love is the most powerful force in all of creation. We celebrate that power and that love. Not only at Easter, not only at Christmas, not just at Pentecost, but every single time we worship. Every single time we invoke the name of God, we celebrate the power of God's love.
You'd think with a message like that, our services might feel more like a party. Not a mindless party. Not a party that fiddles while Rome burns. Not a party that turns a blind eye to the suffering around us. But a party that knows that there are forces outside and forces inside of us that would keep us from a life of love. And still we choose to celebrate anyway because we know that love wins. The spirit of celebration that I'm talking about has never been captured better in words than by the poet Lucille Clifton. Lisa, will you come up? I'm going to have you read a word or two. Let me tell you about Lucille Clifton as Lisa's coming forward. Clifton was a poet. She passed on from this world into the next in 2010. Lucille Clifton was discovered as a young writer by the, the great writer Langston Hughes. She became known as a poet in the 20th century as a, a poet who says a lot with very few words. She alludes in her poems to all of the great poets. She, she draws on Whitman and Wordsworth, but she is always completely and uniquely herself, black, female, on the margins. So Clifton was on a first-name basis, and you see this in her poetry, a first-name basis with the characters of Scripture. They come alive in her poems, and the themes of Scripture come alive in her poems, and she moves us as the listener through a whole range of emotions in just a few lines. So now that I've built her up, I want to share with you the poem that first drew me to Clifton. It is about this irrepressible spirit of celebration. It's called, Won't You Celebrate With Me? Lisa, will you read it for us? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model, born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on the bridge between starshine and clay, one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Mm. Won't you celebrate with me? That's an invitation. That is the celebratory spirit of the Christian life. Our faith has eyes to see the beauty in all things, even in ourselves. Our faith has eyes to watch and observe the world and see the persistence of beauty in existence, to observe the perseverance of hope in our common life, and to bear witness to the victory of love in spite of all that would stand in love's way, in spite of all that would degrade the image of God in which we are created or resist the power of love by which we are held. We affirm the power of love. Come celebrate with me. Those are words for all of us to speak to one another. And here's what I want you to know this morning. We may have to wait a few more months or even longer for some of our big celebrations to resume safely. But that spirit of celebration is not something you have to reserve for the big moments. We don't need to be shy 
about celebrating or embarrassed to celebrate or ashamed of delighting in even the smallest victories in life. Did you put on a great outfit this morning? Celebrate it. Amen. Some of y'all look good this morning. Did you get the kids to school on time today? Celebrate it. Did you, did you hold your tongue and use patience instead? Celebrate that. Were you generous and kind today? Celebrate it. Did you make it to the weekend? Did you make it to Wednesday? Celebrate. Were you authentically yourself? Celebrate. Did something try to kill you and fail? Absolutely, you should celebrate. My good friend Doug King, who is a member of the preaching group that I am very lucky to be a part of, makes this observation about this passage that we began with in John. Doug says that if you read Matthew, and if you read Mark, and if you read Luke, Jesus inaugurates his ministry in each of those Gospels with teaching and with healing. John's always a little bit different. In John, Jesus begins in another way. Not with well-studied Torah, not even with the restoration of our brokenness. The first act of the coming of God's beloved community on earth is a party. An absurdly abundant party. Doug did the math. 907 bottles of wine for this wedding feast. You know, all of us have a different understanding, slightly different of what, what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of God. But however you understand that idea, however you understand that concept, that vision of what the coming of Jesus brings into this world, know this, it will bring joy. It will bring frivolity. It will bring delight. The remaking of earth as it is in heaven is a celebration. And Jesus said, this kingdom, this beloved community is already here. Do you see it? Lucille Clifton saw it. I bet you do too. So by all means, come celebrate with me. Let the church say, Amen. Amen.